Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC. This episode is a Pillar and Ground confession episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in the Westminster Confession of Faith. I hope you'll grab a Bible, a journal, a pen, maybe sit for a moment in these 15 minutes and contemplate these truths and have your heart encouraged. We are studying through Westminster Confession of Faith 2.1, Knowing God. And today we focus on God's purpose and plans. And that the Westminster Confession of Faith in 2.1 says, He works all things according to the counsel of His own unchangeable and most righteous will for His own glory. Again, to put it in context of what we learned, here's where we are so far in Westminster 2.1. There is only one living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection. He is a most pure spirit, invisible with neither body parts nor passive properties. He is unchangeable, boundless, eternal, and incomprehensible. He is almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute. And he works all things according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and most righteous will for his own glory. So we're focusing on that last sentence today. The works of God, the will of God, the purpose of God. And we will more deeply dive into some implications and questions around this sentence as we get to chapter three of God's eternal decree and as we get later to chapter five of providence. Because some people could hear this one sentence He works all things according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and most righteous will for his own glory, and somehow conclude that. The truth of God's purpose and plan makes us passive. And I want you to know from the outset, that's not true. And we'll address that in coming episodes. But today, I just want to look at this sentence and what it means versus correcting all the what it doesn't mean. So let's first consider God's purpose. He works all things for his own glory. And then we'll consider God's plan. First, God's purpose. He works all things for his glory. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. For from him, he is the origin, the first cause of all things. For through him, he's the source, the sustaining cause of all things. And to him, he is the final end of all things. And so the purpose of of this incredible God we've been learning about is his glory. Now, why is that his purpose? (laughs) I heard it said, I think it was in a seminary class, and I didn't quote who said it, but when they said it, I wrote it down. Why could this be the purpose of God, his glory? And this was the answer. Because an all-wise, incomprehensible, unilateral, non-reciprocal, eternal being without cause has ordered it, period. (laughs) And we have no right to debate it or modify it. R.C. Sproul said, There's nothing more proper than for a perfect being to work all things for the exaltation of his perfection and righteousness. To really understand this purpose of God's glory, I want us to go back and ask even the question of why did God create the world? We'll get to creation in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 4, but to really understand the purpose of God for his glory, you really have to ask, why did God create the world anyway? 
Jonathan Edwards in his work, The End for Which God Created the World, deals with this question. And before we get with his answer, even consider Westminster Confession of Faith 4.1. God created the world and God created humans. Westminster Confession of Faith 4.1. For the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. God created to manifest, to show himself, but even more, to see himself. That was Jonathan Edwards' conclusion. The end for which God created the world, why did he create the world? To see himself. We'll get into that in a minute. But even consider how Psalm 19 speaks of the manifestation of God and the creation. Listen to the verbs of that chapter. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. The the creation is speaking. It's manifesting. It's saying something. It's showing something. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. It, It says that the creation in verse four, their words go to the end of the world. That creation is is wordless speech. It is manifestation, declaration. And then in verse seven, it moves to how God manifests and shows himself in his word. So God creates the world and gives his word that we might see him, that he might see himself in us. Creation brilliantly reflects the perfection of creator. And he created himself, listen to this, to see himself. Now, let's unpack that for a moment. In seeing himself, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're pleased. Great delight in the display of their perfections. God's pleasure is in seeing himself, and that is not vain. We have this sort of allergy to hearing that, that God created the world to see himself. It feels vain to us in our creatureness. That's because we often see the vanity of those who seek popular applause, that the desire of praise seems evil to us from a creature's perspective. But desire of praise and seeing yourself is not itself evil. It is only evil when the desire for praise is rooted in unworthiness. That's not the case with God. Unlike the display of narcissism in God's creatures, God's self-love is not sinful. God's delight in himself is not a vain misconception, but is just and right. And when he beholds what he has made, he sees himself in the starry host. He sees himself in the brain's complexity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit seeing themselves displayed in the world. And so you may ask, well, what does that mean for us? What has he given us that we might show off himself? Because after all, Aren't we as humans twisted, ruined, and damaged by sin? Yes, we were created for that purpose, but aren't we ruined? Well, he didn't abandon his purpose. In the garden, he promised he would send his son that we might reflect his glory throughout the earth. He would give us his spirit that we might show off 
who our God is as we live, and that will be by grace. For what God requires that we would show him himself, he gives. And what God asks of us, he provides. We are blessed, but for the purpose of God seeing himself. What God seeks, he gives so that we may give back and show him his glory. How do we glorify God who is supremely omnipotent, self-existent, absolute, needing nothing, omnipotent? I would say simply, it will have to be the opposite of a self-consumed life. Consider Greek mythology when Nemesis attracted Narcissus to a pool where he saw his own reflection in the water and fell in love with it, not realizing it was an image. He was then unable to leave the beauty of his reflection and lost his will to live. He stayed at the reflection until he died. Self-consumption over the reflection, the image of God, will kill and destroy us. That's the point. We were made to show off God. And therefore, to glorify God, understanding this is God's purpose, we must evaluate our lives, our attitudes, our actions, our motives, our relationships, our promises, our callings, and family, asking this question. God, when you see me in those things, do you see yourself? Or do you see my self-consumption for self-advancement under the cloak of religion? Do you see self-denying service or territorial self-preservation? Do you see joy or a walking storm cloud gifted with criticism and disdain? The question of our lives must become, based on this purpose of God and His glory, God, do you see yourself in me? John Hanna, who I was privileged to study under, and a Jonathan Edwards Seminar, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, because of the doctrine of God's glory, wrote on a card on his bathroom mirror, he would ask himself every morning, God, would you allow me today to so live my life that you might see yourself? And then in the evening, he would ask, did you see yourself in me today? I really believe that this is a seismic shift that we all need in how we think about God and His purpose. It's a Ptolemaic Christianity versus Copernican Christianity. The Ptolemaic Christianity thought the earth is stationary in the center of the universe, but then suddenly Copernican Christianity said the sun rather than the earth is at the center of the universe. And when I mention that, this, this doctrine of God's glory means we turn around God. God doesn't turn around us. We exist for him to see himself. Asking those two questions, did you see yourself? Would you see yourself? That'll change your life. But then not only does Westminster Confession of Faith deal with God's purpose, it deals with his plan. He works all things according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and most righteous will. Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. 
my Professor John Frame wrote of God's plan and God's sovereignty in it. Everything that happens in the world comes from him. God is the one who sends rain, thunder, and lightning, as Psalm 65, 135, and 147 tell us. It is God who makes things freeze, and then it's God who melts the ice. The smallest details of nature are under his control. The falling of a sparrow, the number of hairs on your head, to the events we call random. God rules big things, too, from important events in human history to the lives of individual people. God does not work according to our will or our popular opinion, because he works, as the confession says, according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and most righteous will. He does not need our counsel or our advice. What he wants determines how he works. God's will is anything he wants to happen and what pleases him. And we can be confident of this. This is the real comfort of this sentence. It is a most righteous will. God works and acts and wills according to the perfect internal standard of right and wrong. Though we cannot see it to the human eye, all his actions are within the limits of that standard. His righteousness is the form or structure of his goodness. And as we see his will come to be, we can trust the simplicity of God, that God's will is righteous and good and holy and wise. And so I want to leave you today as we consider God's purpose and plan with the words of a hymn that you might receive comfort to live by faith in what the confession of faith says. He works all things according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and most righteous will for his glory. Hear the words to this hymn. Whate'er my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I will be still whate'er he doth and follow where he guideth. He is my God. Though dark my road, and he holds me that I shall not fall, wherefore to him I leave it all. Whate'er my God ordains is right. He never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take content what he hath sent. His hand can turn my griefs away and patiently I wait his day. Whate'er my God ordains is right. Though now this cup and drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart, I take it all unshrinking. My God is true each morn anew. Sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart. And pain and sorrow shall depart. Whate'er my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet am I not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to Him, I leave it all. 
Thank you for joining us on another episode of Pillar and Ground.